You are listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Adam. Welcome to day 259 and 260. Man, we're so close to that 100-day mark, <laughs> but uh, I'm not going to ring the bell okay, good. yet. So, we're glad you're with us. We're talking through the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, and we're doing it. We're doing it. And we find ourselves in the midst of the major prophet, Isaiah. Where are we today, Matt? Our Old Testament reading for today is Isaiah chapters 38 through 42. Wow. Yeah, I like that. Gave it a little zip there. Yeah, that was nice. We're still in the narrative with Hezekiah. Sweet Hezekiah. Turn to the book of Hezekiah. Mm. That was an old joke. I think we've referenced that before, maybe yeah. in Chronicles or Kings. I don't know. Because this is, is this the third time we've heard this story? Mm, or second? It, second. It wasn't really, I don't think it was really referenced in Kings. So in Chronicles, it gave us one angle. This is a little more intimate angle, I would say. Like this is yeah. really, uh, so Hezekiah hears from the word of the Lord. He hears from Isaiah. Or does he hear straight from God? I forget. He hears from Isaiah. He says, you're going to die, bro. Mm-hmm. Your time is up. And what does Hezekiah do with that information? He goes to the Lord. He cries out to the Lord. Now, this is interesting. I, Over my time, my time as a pastor, I have had several people, several, not just one or two, but have a sense of death or sickness. They get like this sense before it happens. They're like, and they've confided in me. Oh yeah. I felt Mm -hmm. like I knew somebody was going to die. I knew the sickness was coming. I knew this and it feels kind of special and it feels like special knowledge. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it is a little bit like it might be from the Lord. Yeah. I mean, Isaiah heard from the Lord that Hezekiah is going to die. Now the confusion comes though, when people when, if you ever feel something is doomed or death, the confusion is like, oh, it's special knowledge. This is what's going to have. This is what's going to happen. And so I just have to tell people or I don't know. Mm-hmm. It messes with your mind. Mm-hmm. But it shouldn't. What right. it should do is in every example in the scripture, it's like David knows his child's going to die. Nineveh knows they're going to die because <clears> Jonah <throat> tells him. And yep. Hezekiah knows he's going to die. And in all three of these cases, and I'm sure there's more, the response to this special information yeah. is to cry out yes. to God and say, God, change your mind. Mm-hmm. Well, even remember Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham cries out, don't destroy it. Right. Moses, don't destroy the people of Israel. Yes. And I mean, it, the percentages, the more I go through this, the percentages get higher for mm-hmm. him interceding. Really, I mean, God doesn't intercede with David and his son. Mm-hmm. The, all the other ones he does. He hears the cries of Nineveh. He hears the cry of Hezekiah. Sodom and Gomorrah was the one. Sodom and Gomorrah. <clears throat> well, but he was then, willing to... He saved, though. He did hear he, the cry of Abraham, and he saved a lot. lot. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, every one of these examples, if you ever are overwhelmed with a sense of death or dying or sickness, do not surrender to it. It might right. be from the Lord, but you still then have the power and the ability to cry out to the God whose eyes and ears and name is upon you. And just like the people in Nineveh, they said, who knows, maybe God will change his mind. Yes. And that's what Hezekiah does here. Who knows? So he cries out, and God hears his request and says, I'm going to give you another 15 years. Yeah. But then he goes, how am I going to know? And he gives him a sign, the sundial, old Ahaz's 
yes. sundial, which we know this kind of technology is around from Egypt. Mm-hmm. And he moves basically the shadow. Back. He moves it backwards, yeah. And I don't know what you thought about that. Um, without, I'm not really interested in trying to figure out how that happened or whatever. Oh, I figure yeah. the work and healing of God is often accompanied with a sign for the comfort of the yeah, it recipient. Is. It is, because I, I feel like it wasn't um, immediate. The healing wasn't immediate. Right. And so to comfort him in the meantime of the sickness, he was like, Look, I'm going to give you this just so you know Which, uh, my word is good. You know what it made my mind think of? Maybe it's because we just partook of the Lord's Supper on Sunday. But the Lord's Supper is kind of like, I'm giving you a sign. Mm-hmm. Like, God save us. How do I know I'm saved? Can you give me a sign? Yeah, I'll give you my uh, body and my blood that you'll partake of every yeah. week to rest in that sign, to rest in that uh, truth and that you are being saved mm-hmm. and you are being healed. And then there is like a little... Uh, he applies something to a, a reference cake. to a boil or something. Yeah, a cake of figs to a boil, and which made me think. And I think the and Hezekiah even asked for a sign, right? And and then Hezekiah has this like amazing little poem song that he writes about thanking the Lord because he was in yeah. the midst of death and the Lord saved him. Beautiful uh, response, yeah, mm-hmm. about God being the God over everything, and that you can. Let your heart, don't hesitate to make your request known before God. Mm-hmm. That's what I like about that. 39, Hezekiah, kind of in the Chronicles edition, it makes Hezekiah sound a lot more cold. I kind of understand his thinking in light of uh, Isaiah <clears throat> 38 here. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes, so, I do. So uh, you've had Egypt were the top dog back 400 years ago, right? They mm-hmm. escaped Egypt or more now. Then you have Syria... You have Assyria, which takes mm-hmm. over the north. Now, Babylon is is coming. Yeah, so Babylon is wheeling and dealing. They're trying to get alliances together to take out Assyria. Right. They've been they've been doing this since the advent of Assyria. Is Babylon's been trying? They've been taken down three times or two times at this point, and so now they're doing. They're trying to make alliances, and the one thing that Isaiah has been very clear about is do not rely on alliances with other nations. Right. Well, so then Babylon comes. They hear Hezekiah's sick, mm-hmm. which is a twofold thing. Like, oh, how sick are you? Yes. Is because whenever there's a switch in leadership, mm-hmm. that's your window. Yes. Um, it's like a rookie quarterback. You mm-hmm. want to blitz that guy. Um, so they show up, and Hezekiah welcomes them and shows them, kind of like Solomon did with Sheba, mm-hmm. Queen of Sheba. He shows them everything, thinking these are going to be a good alliance, and I want to show good faith to them. But then what I realized reading this one is that, because um, Isaiah goes, what did you do? Isaiah shows up and says, this was wrong. Mm-hmm. These guys are going to make your sons eunuchs in their kingdoms. Yes. Like, they're going to be eunuchs in the king's castle. But Hezekiah hears it as, oh, we're going to be all right. So we're going to be protected in an alliance with Babylon against Assyria. Mm-hmm. Like he misses, that's how I read it oh. this time. Because there was a verse about where he goes, he's like, I, the idea was Hezekiah thought this would be good because at least we'll be safe. And mm-hmm. Isaiah's like, no, you don't, you're not understanding. This isn't like... I'm saying Babylon's going to drive you into exile, not just protect you from the Assyrians. Right. And so, I don't know, uh, the way Chronicles ended with Hezekiah, it sounded like he didn't care about the future. 
Right. The way I read it now is, oh, he cared about the future the way we do. Like, oh, my kids will have a good inheritance and mm-hmm. they'll be safe. And meanwhile, the prophet's going, don't trust in money and don't trust in your nest egg. Trust in me. And we're like, yeah, I trust the Lord and the kids' church and worshiping God is secondary yes. to their career. Yes. And they have a good, at least they're, you know, it's like the, the pastors and the prophets are saying, no, no, you need to make church mm-hmm. the first thing. Because, uh, so I understand that better. It's still the same. The chron- right. When Chronicles, though, it just sounds like he didn't care. He's like, oh, I'm safe for now. But I realized him going, like we all do, oh, good, we'll be safe. Mm-hmm. And Isaiah's like, do not put your hope in Babylon. Yes. It's like, I didn't think I had to tell you to that, but now I realize I have to tell you, don't trust in Babylon. Only pray to the Lord. Yeah, because you took me literally when I said, don't trust in Egypt. Right. But the thing I was trying to get across was don't trust in alliances right. to save you. Don't trust in anything other than the living God mm-hmm. for life and yeah. protection and the things of God, the order and... Ah, okay. Yeah. So okay. chapter 40. So now... We get the trifecta. <clears throat> yeah, so the idea I'm getting is Isaiah is kind of realizing... Okay, so now I have to prep you guys because you're thinking, oh, the Assyrians have turned and haven't sacked us, therefore we're safe and good. But no, Babylon's coming now, and you guys are going to be going, wait, I thought we were good. And I have to just remind you, yes, you're still God's people, but this is still going to happen. Right, because, and I recognize the confusion. Mm-hmm. Hezekiah has done so much good. Like, yeah. we all love and trust you now. Yeah. And from God's perspective, it's like, yeah, you're just like a... You're like a 30-year good spot, mm-hmm. a 40 years max, and that's nothing compared to like the hundreds of years we're talking about and the future. So like Hezekiah is good, and I do love you guys, but i got to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. It's, we're, the tide is too strong, and so uh, that's the confusion for the immediate audience, but that's why I think Isaiah always follows it up with so much good news. Yeah. He's like, you guys are doing what's right. Keep trusting the Lord. It's just there's something much bigger at play here. Um, I'm talking about all nations. I'm mm-hmm. talking about all humanity. And so we get into some of the most beautiful... There's so many beautiful verses in chapter 40, 41, 42 that I think we'll just kind of reference them as we go here. But yes. he begins with uh, a reference that might be familiar to those of you yeah. who know the New Testament. Um, well, he starts off with saying, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Like, the idea is... The re- repetition of a word is just for, um, it's to drive, a home, drive home a point, right? Mm-hmm. So Isaiah is saying, I want you to be comforted, and I want you, I'm going to speak, God wants me to speak to you tenderly, because mm-hmm. even though um, things have gotten a little bit better for you, you're feeling good, you're going to walk through some serious stuff, but I'm here for you, even though you deserve harsh speech, yes. I'm going to speak tenderly, and I want to speak comfort to you, and that's where a voice will cry, Mm-hmm. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway of our God. And this, of course, is fulfilled in John the Baptist. John the Baptizer yes. is that voice in the wilderness. Of course, that's several, several hundred years later than after Isaiah. Yeah. But I was recognizing, too, that the whole idea of uh, a desert, like straight, straight in the desert, a highway for our God. Did you, did you do any research on that uh, idea of highway? I never knew this. But uh, often they would build a highway if a dignitary was coming. Like if, if a dignitary was coming to your place, you would build 
a road, a path to mm-hmm. your place, or um, a triumphant king, like you've just won, so then they'd build a road for that king to come into, hmm. or if they were transporting idols, they would build oh, a road, interesting. Yeah, yeah. which makes sense. You figure, oh, they're building roads because we don't want you to get lost. We mm-hmm. want you to know the way to our place to bless us. And so when God says, I'm going to send a voice to you to build a road for the king of kings. Yeah, that's cool. To make straight the path for him to come to you, prepare, and then follow him. Like, mm-hmm. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Like, follow him. There is only one way to get into this city. It's not, you know, I mean, it's so funny. Mm-hmm. I just always fight this urge, you know, oh, well, maybe there's different ways to get to God. Well, there is one way mm-hmm. like to get to you. When you put in your phone how to get to someplace, there might be two or three ways, but it's all the same way. It's just because we have so many little roads, but it's the same way. You're going east, south. You have to yeah. go. You're following directions. Yes. Um, anyway, so John, the promise of John coming and with double comfort and double forgiveness. And then this great, I mean, again, I would just read these chapters. These are the chapters in Isaiah you just want to read. Yeah, I would agree. Because people will fade, but the word of God endures forever. I'm just going to highlight some of my faves. Yeah. You sprinkle in your faves. Do you have any? Um, I'm trying to think. There's, like, so much in this one. Uh, well, for me... What, you go through 40. I'll just keep going and see if it I stirs like, anything in yeah. you. But chapter, so in 40... Like verse 10 and 11, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will mm-hmm. gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. And it's just this idea that who is like God? He made the world. Mm-hmm. And then uh, in Isaiah 40, if you've been around Christianity or you've gone to Christian schools, you've maybe seen these on the, the wall like um, where it's, even youth shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They Mm -hmm. shall walk and not faint. Like God is the all-powerful shepherd and shepherding us to salvation. And though we are weak in our strength, we are in despair. We don't even have enough energy for hope. That's where our shepherd, our God uh, will be announced and he will come in and raise mm-hmm. us up to life, raise us up and back to the city of God, even though we've been exiled and left for dead. That's 40 for me. I mean, it's, yeah. and then 41, it's like, again, the renewing of the Lord in, in saying, I don't want you to fear. The yeah. Lord is with you. Fear not. Um, yeah. So he, uh, this one, a lot of people would think it's dealing with the return of Israel or Judah from uh, Babylonian exile right. under uh, an order of Cyrus and how Cyrus has come through from the east and from the north and marched through and taken all the nations that has oppressed God's people and has uh, prepared a way for the people to return and rebuild the city right. of God. Well, Isaiah is <clears throat> already thinking now beyond Babylon. So you yeah. have Assyria and then Babylon. Now he's already thinking of Persia, yes, a place that's east of Babylon that's mm-hmm. going to take over through Syria. And I was just kind of in awe this this morning, reading and thinking on these things. How the the king of the hill, the political powers that be, are always shifting and mm-hmm. always maneuvering and always manipulating. Yet we have the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, who will never change. Yes, he will be our leader, and our borders are pleasant and drawn out for us. He does call in, I think it's verse 8, 
Abraham, my friend. Yes. I re- that's verse eight. He's like, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. Mm-hmm. It's a very good verse. And, and then in 10, this is enough just to get you through the day. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Again, it's just over and over again. He's not even that obsessed with the future of exile anymore. He's already announced that. Now he's yeah. like, hang on. It's going to get better. You're not going to be wiped right. out and God forgotten. has not abandoned you. He's not forgotten you. I do like uh, in 14 through 16, he has this idea of Jacob is a, a worm that will trample nation, or trample mountains. Yeah, And I love that imagery of like, you're, to the rest of the world, you look small and easily forgotten and crushed. Yep. But the Lord will use you to crush these mountains of nations. It's amazing. I think of that with like, blessed are the meek, they mm-hmm. shall inherit the earth. Like we look like nothing, but we're actually the inheritors of everything. He mentions the futility of idols, and basically you need to put your confidence in the word of the Lord. Yeah, he puts. He basically puts uh, the idols in, on trial and says, uh, prophesy for me, tell me yeah. of my plans, counsel me in any way that you can. He's like, you can't. And he judges them as the, being false and useless. Yeah, the end of 41, he's like, they're all delusion. Mm-hmm. Their works are nothing. Their metal images are empty wind. Mm-hmm. 42 then introduces Ooh, yeah. a beautiful idea of the song of the servant. The servant songs. And there's going to be four of these mm-hmm. uh, throughout Isaiah, but this is the first one. And uh, so the idea is the promise to Israel is that, and the confusion really uh, at the time of Jesus is people believed that the Israel, the nation of Israel was the servant. Yes, that Isaiah is talking about. Although Isaiah and Jesus and Paul and everybody else says, no, this servant is about Jesus Christ himself. Yes. And so it's a beautiful song. Yeah, I love it. Because if when you listen to it, you're like, oh man, this is who else could this be talking about? Yeah. Um, my servant, behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen and whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. And you could keep reading. It's so great. Um, Essentially, it goes on to sing to the Lord a new song and... I mean, oh, all of it. His praise from the end of the earth, you who go down to the sea and all that fills it. Anyway, everyone will praise the Lord because of this servant. And this he, won't, he won't be flamboyant or he yeah. won't come in and like every other king has a parade to show off their mm-hmm. tanks, to show their power, to parade what they've conquered and then step on whoever, like to yeah. scare you. Yes. And our suffering servant is meek and mild and he comes in humble Quietly. and he's not going to, destroy anything Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's an an amazing image of him he's going to lead the blind and guide the people along the right path and hold them by the hand and it's just very loving and gentle and um, merciful yeah his whole deal is to restore and then I realized I I do believe that God's intention was and he said quite 
quite clearly, you are a kingdom of priests Mm -hmm. to Moses. Yes. And so Israel is the failed servant. The servant under the law was convicted and Mm -hmm. has failed to be a servant to the nations and restoring justice and kindness and goodness and all these things. And so it's funny that it can be looked at as, oh, Israel was the servant here, but they failed. Mm -hmm. And I think that, and obviously that's God saying, that's why um, the world is interpreting this as your God has failed you. And God's like, no, 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 my people have failed me. So I'm pushing them out of my land. I am the God of this area and Mm -hmm. this whole world. Mm -hmm. And I will bring them back in though, when they are able to walk under, uh, under the responsibility to be a servant to the world. Yeah. Well, how are we ever going to do that? We're broken and we're just going to fail again and again. Right. I'm going to come to you and send my servant to be a servant all the way. And then you can stand under him by faith and now bear the name and the glory of God, uh, the God of heaven on earth. Yeah. So, so God will send another servant who will be the suffering servant to save the world. This is the great hope that Isaiah leaves yeah. us with. It's pretty great. So uh, I would suggest reading this, <laughs> reading these verses, because it's so encouraging about mm-hmm. he's going to hold us by our right hand and shepherd us, mm-hmm. and I need that every day, you know? Speaking of the law, let's go to Galatians. Our New Testament reading for today is Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, through chapter 3, verse 25. Uh, Paul. Paul is so cool, man. So, he's... Paul does not know the rules. <laughs> he is writing to the churches of Galatia, because he's heard... Wait... You guys have accepted the gospel. They're Gentiles. But now there's Jews who have come among you who are telling you you have to follow the law to stay saved. Okay, let me give you the background of everything I've done. And just so you know that the gospel I'm preaching is the very same that the apostles are preaching because it all comes from Christ. We've all gotten this gospel, this good news from Christ himself. And I even went and hung out with those guys and they totally agreed with me after like a decade of preaching. They totally were like, oh, yeah, man, you're on track. You know what? You've met Christ. Awesome. And so he's like, all right. But of course, when they came to see me in Antioch, like I went to go see them in Jerusalem. Then they were like all excited and wanted to see what I was doing in Antioch. Uh, things got a little real. <laughs> Well, I just love Paul because Paul earlier says, am I trying to please man or please God? That's yeah. part of his like defense letter. Yeah. And so we actually have a scene of what yeah, like a godly confrontation looks like. I know. It's so good. So Peter, or Cephas, went to go see the church in Antioch. Mm-hmm. And he's like hanging out with them and eating with them. And everything's cool. And he's like, and then some Jews came in and started being like, we can't eat with the the other Gentiles. Well, imagine, and, yeah. And then the next thing I know, Peter is now quietly not eating with the Gentiles anymore and only eating with the Jews. You know, it's, it's such a practical situation. Mm-hmm. So imagine you're a church planner. You're trying to get people to come to faith in Jesus. And you got some, God's doing some work. 
And then someone comes in and says, oh, I'm interested and I, I, have, I have money, I have influence, I have protection and, and I'm like you. I grew up the same way you did. Mm-hmm. But I'm sorry, I just cannot handle the new music or the, the young kid. I can't handle that. So can we just meet separately? Yeah. And you're like, yeah. I mean, I want everyone to come. I mean, I don't like that. Like, I, I don't know. I think the temptation then is to go, well, let me be loving to this guy. I don't really right. like that he doesn't like the young people. Let's just use right. old and young as a distinction. Okay. That's weird. But he can learn to become more loving and accept mm-hmm. their music and accept this and, and be a blessing to those people. But he's an immediate blessing to me because he brings a history, he brings some money, he brings protection, he a shared understanding. Cool. Well, then, like if I'm doing that, right? Mm-hmm. I'm Peter in this situation. And I, it just kind of makes sense. I feel a little bit gross about it, but all right. Then Barnabas starts eating with me and the other Jews. And now we're just kind of hanging out with these Jews. And I'm like, you understand. You understand, Matt. I'm called to the Jews. And then you are Paul. And it takes so much courage, but Paul's like, what are you doing? Yeah. So you're like, Adam, you can't do this because you're keeping the old distinctions alive. Mm -hmm. And I know it's tempting to trust the old rich guy or whatever, but you have to teach him the gospel. And the gospel is we all eat together now. Right. And that means you embrace the young people with their stupid ideas and things you think are dumb and that you don't understand yet. And they'll embrace you because we are connected by the gospel of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection but they're doing it wrong. Yeah, but you're doing it wrong. And Paul's like, yeah, that's not how we operate anymore. Right. We operate on the gospel. So right. ironically, he has to say, Peter, you're doing this wrong. Yeah. It is very interesting. He just comes out and he says, he confronts Peter in front, like it's, it sounds like while they were eating, Yeah. he just walks in. He's like, what is going on? Why are you not in the other room? Like, why are you guys secluded and shut off from the rest of the church. And you're forcing the Gentiles you to guys, live like Jews. You guys came here to see this church, and now you won't eat with them. Right. And guess what, Peter? I'm going to tattle on you. You were eating with the Gentiles well, before all these other guys showed dude, up. Peter, you live the, like a Gentile. You're the grandfather of this whole eating together. You yeah. went to Cornelius' house. Yes. And saw the vision of everything's right. clean. And so now you eat with Gentiles. You share everything with Gentiles. Yeah. What are you doing? You're going backward. And, and Peter apparently receives it and says, thanks, Paul. You've just kept me accountable. You're right. Mm-hmm. I got a little carried away because I'm nervous about these churches. And I thought, you know what? Let's get The more Jews we get in it, the better. Yeah. But you're right. And so it's just kind of a cool, I think, example of how the freedom the freedom we have is to mm-hmm. don't be a hypocrite and we can call each other out mm-hmm. lovingly because you know Paul only wants the gospel to go forward right. and knows the heart of Peter right. which also wants the gospel to go out so this isn't a vicious I wonder- power shift or anything it's purely a hey man I'm young and zealous and you're getting kind of older and don't be a hypocrite right so then he kind of goes into this whole thing about the law and justification it's just a minor thing yeah i'm just kidding yeah it's not that big of a deal i know so i mean okay let's let's break it down okay yeah the theology of paul here clearly stated is that we are justified so there's there's two distinctions you must know there's justification and sanctification Uh uh-huh justification is your salvation you are justified before the judge 
you're forgiven, you are pronounced in a right state. Sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit that is changing you into a, uh, a more whole person. Like mm-hmm. you. And so the temptation for many of us today is to feel safe in our sanctification. So like we start to look at our lives and right, go, oh, right. I'm, I am a nice person. I give money to God. I worship God. Therefore, I feel good about and safe yes. because I do these things. Paul is like, no, no, no. We must put our faith in the work of Christ, the theology mm-hmm. of the cross, Christ crucified alone. Mm-hmm. You are saved. That is your justification. Yes. And so you cannot rest in your works at all. Your works will eventually condemn you. Even your good works will be exposed because even your motives will be questioned right. and shown in the light that they were, at, at best, they were mixed. Mm-hmm. You kind of cared for people, but you also mostly cared for yourself. And so we don't trust in those. We trust in the work of Christ. Yes. And, um, and this is important because the Jewish folks, the Judaizers are saying, uh, and even today, no, yeah. I'd... You need to trust in uh, if the the phrase that I've often heard growing up is, you know, you judge a tree by its fruit. Yes, and that might be true for trees, mm-hmm. but in Christianity, first of all, uh, we'll let God judge, mm-hmm. and we are judged by you are under Christ or not under Christ. Right? Are you under Christ? Then you are saved. And then the works that will follow, the Holy Spirit will produce fruit from that tree. But some of our trees have been damaged in profound ways. And Mm -hmm. it might take a while before you get those first oranges. It might Mm -hmm. take years. Right. And if you're just looking for an orange on that old orange tree that has been cancer-ridden and full of cankers and all sorts of stuff, it's going to take a while. My first orange tree didn't produce real oranges for two or three years. Mm -hmm. So if I was saying, it's not a real orange tree, uh, then... That's a problem. I knew because the package said it was an orange tree. I know because Christ has died for us. Uh, yeah, so I think what happens now, a lot of people will get the order flipped of law and gospel. And so you always have to have the law to show that you need the gospel. So the law always condemns you. Your works will always condemn you. Yeah. And you need to rest. But that gets you to the work of Christ. And what happens, though, is, and this is what was happening with the Judaizers, they were like, cool, we're glad that you believe in Christ, and that's very important. But now to stay in and to really live and be like Christ, you have to follow the law. Yeah. And so now it's going gospel law, and you have to follow the law to prove that you've received the gospel. And that is so dangerous and crushing. Well, in a you know, godless culture... Mm-hmm. Where uh, the so faith is stripped down, you only believe in things you see. Yes, it makes sense that people, two people, to look at their lives as proof mm-hmm. of their salvation. Yes, and it's because yeah. you need to see something in a godless, faithless society. Mm-hmm. Well, the famous verse at the end of chapter two is, "I've been crucified with Christ. It mm-hmm. is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me." And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Mm -hmm. I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So I was thinking the core here for Paul is faith in Christ. And and really, I'm crucified with Christ means I must let the law kill me. Mm -hmm. Let it kill you. Because when you're dead, when it says you are guilty, then you have now... The, good, the opportunity to receive faith that Christ will raise you up. God, I'm totally dead here. Mm-hmm. I can't do anything. Will you save me? 
I believe that you will because you've given me your word. You've given me these things. You've given me Christ on the cross. So I will be crucified by the law and, and then put my faith in the resurrection of all things. Yes. The way you raised from the dead. Yes. Well, in chapter 3, he says, Who's, who bewitched you? And this is your law gospel distinction. Because mm-hmm. uh, he says, I mean, it's so poignant. I've never really seen it this way, but he goes, how did you receive the Spirit? Yeah. By works of the law or by hearing with faith? Uh-huh. You receive the Spirit. So the Spirit of God comes through the promise, mm-hmm. not the law. Right. But he says, did you begin? So uh, having begun with the Spirit, you're now being perfected by the flesh? Yes. And, and that's what happens when you go gospel first and then and law. The law. Yeah. So you begin with the Spirit. So if you hear a sermon and it's like, you're all saved by Jesus Christ, and you're like, rest in that, trust in that. He loves you. He's for you. That's like refreshing and good. That's mm-hmm. the gospel. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. But then if they follow it up, so now you better love your neighbor. Mm-hmm. You better give more. You better do these things. Otherwise, you uh, yeah. you don't know what you are. See, that's that's what Paul's saying is happening. Yes, that is. Like, I, I just straight heard a sermon. Oh, be nice. <laughs> but for, about not for the, me. Not from you, yeah. I went to another church, and I was like, "Whoa, that's exactly what happened there," and, and it is, and it's devastating. I used to preach that way early on because I felt like I needed to tell people what to do. Mm-hmm. I needed to give them something tangible. Otherwise, I don't know what the point is. And what I've learned is, oh no, what the people need is not more stuff to do. Mm-hmm. That's what's crushing them. Right. What they need is to hear what to do first. And then have the gospel say, and you know what? Christ will take that work for you, and he'll mm-hmm. lead you into these behaviors. He'll lead you into this life, mm-hmm. but you need to recognize you're powerless. That's the only way to even apprehend the good works that you want to do. Right. And so that's what Paul, I just like how Paul says, you begin with the spirit and end with the flesh. No. And, and the rest of chapter three is saying, no, no, no. Because now the temptation is, oh, is law and gospel rival systems. Right. So, oh, because that's how it was always right. broken down. So, like, the Old Testament was how you got saved in the Old Testament, and that's one way to get saved, mm-hmm. and the gospel is another way to get saved. I'm going to trust in the one of the other. And Paul breaks it down in chapter 3, like, dude, these are not rival systems mm-hmm. at all. In fact, they're in concert. They are necessary parts yeah, of the system. Because it was always, salvation was always guaranteed through the promise given to Abraham's offspring. I know. Children of the promise, not Always the Always through that. And the law, the role of the law, was a, a trainer, a, a caretaker, uh, someone to show you, you need a savior. Right. Because you, if without the law, you will not believe you need salvation. Right. Well, and he says, I gave the promise to Abraham before the law ever came, 400 mm-hmm. years later. Right. After Egypt, and they go into the desert, they yeah. get the law. But yeah, so it's the promises are what are passed down. The law, because he goes, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Yeah. Certainly not. Yes. Um, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So the, the tricky thing is, is the law of God is the will of God. I don't mm-hmm. want you to murder. I don't yes. want you to worship anybody yeah. else. I want you, this is the way to life, like as a human. Mm-hmm. But it condemns you because you're in a broken state. Your body, mm-hmm. you, again. You're, in a, you're born in this condition. Yeah, it is a condition. Sin is a condition. That's it. 
It's not always, I mean, we make choices not, within that condition, yeah. but it is a condition. And so the law brings that up. Yes. Like, why am I having such a hard time not murdering people with my words? Right. Why? Because you're in a condition, dear God, heal my condition. Mm-hmm. And that's the promise. And so it comes after. So now before faith came, we were held captive under the law. And that's the importance. So it's yes. like you're held captive under the law, and now you have the need for the gospel and so what Paul says is that the law was like a, a guardian, like mm-hmm. we were children, mm-hmm. and we had a tutor of sorts. Yeah, a supervisor. A supervisor who was walking us across the street, holding our hand, mm-hmm. telling us, you know, don't touch the stove. Mm-hmm. That's always been my example. It's like, do not touch the stove. Right. For the purpose of not hurting you, but one day you're going to be able to use the stove. Yes. But right now you're five years old and you don't need to be turning the stove on mm-hmm. or touching the stove for any reason. That's the law. The gospel is now you understand the law of heat. Mm-hmm. You understand it'll burn you. Now the gospel is you can use the stove because you're for older things, and yes. you can make food with it. And the law is helpful and it's in concert with the freedom you have to make things now. And that freedom comes by faith uh, in, Christ. in Christ. Yeah. Boom. That's where we end today. And that makes you Abraham's true offspring, heirs according to the promise. Mm-hmm. Because his offspring was not offsprings, it was the seed yes, of the, the woman. Seed, yeah. It was Singular. the Christ. It was Christ. It's his offspring. And his offspring gives his inheritance to us through hearing, through faith, the Spirit. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Our psalm for today is Psalm chapter 107, verses 33 through 43. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste, because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards, and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low, through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes, and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of the affliction, and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Boom! You've just been fed by ravens. Go in peace and serve the Lord. We will talk to you next time.